This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... There is also a critical need to invest in livelihoods, resilience, infrastructure development, climate adaptation and durable solution to ensure those affected can recover from the ongoing crisis, adapt and thrive in the future. That's the FAO representative in Somalia on the need to help the country avoid the droughts that foster cycles of mass hunger. Details coming up also. Gambia says it has foiled a military coup attempt and another round of talks between Ethiopia and Tigrayans is underway in Nairobi. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. Cameroon has deployed troops to its port city of Douala, the country's economic hub, to try to stem a wave of gang violence. Authorities say scores of shops have closed their doors and police arrested hundreds of armed youths. The insecurity has also disrupted Cameroon's exports to its landlocked neighbor, the Central African Republic, and Chad, as Moki Edwin Kindeka reports from Douala. Cameroon's president, Paul Bia, ordered the troops to Douala during two days of emergency security meetings that ended Wednesday. Cameroon authorities have not given the number of troops deployed, but Douala residents tell VOA they saw 13 military trucks on Tuesday night entering the port city. Authorities say the troops were needed as police have been fighting daily conflicts with armed gangs in Douala since the beginning of the month. Police say the clashes saw hundreds of youths arrested and forced some shops to close their doors during the normally bustling holiday season. Several businesses remained closed Wednesday in Bopi, a popular neighborhood in Douala. 37-year-old dress seller Evans Eboa says he wants the government to assure his safety before he will reopen his shop. He says recent gang attacks in Douala are as dangerous as similar gang attacks he witnessed in 2017. Eboa says the gangs he saw in Bopi were divided into two groups. He says the first group carried guns and machetes, chased civilians, and destroyed their shops and vehicles while the second group looted. Some locals blamed the spike in violence on unemployed youths and migrants from the Central African Republic and Nigeria. Samuel Frank Vondo imports motorcycles from China. He says crime wave spikes in Douala are because Nigerian economic migrants and people who fled political tensions in the CAR to earn a living in Cameroon's coastal city and economic hub are unable to find jobs. Vondo says the foreigners join unemployed university graduates who have not found government jobs and rely on the motorcycle taxis to terrorize Douala residents. Cameroon authorities did not say how many of those detained were foreigners. 
They say more than 15,000 Nigerians live in Douala, most of them selling motorcycle and vehicle spare parts. The Association of Nigerian Business Persons in Douala on State CRTV called on its members to be law-abiding. The Douala City Council says less than 5% of at least 30,000 motorcyclists in Douala are licensed to transport passengers. Samuel Jedone Ivaha Jiboa is the governor of the littoral region where Douala is located. He issued an overnight curfew on motorcycles until further notice, saying most of the gang members use motorcycle taxis to attack at night. He said some of those arrested were cooperating with authorities. Les moto taxis eux-mêmes ont reconnu que parmi leurs collègues, Zibua says motorcyclists invited to the emergency security meeting acknowledge that most of their colleagues are either gang members or facilitate criminal activity by transporting gang members to and from crime sites. He says the government has ordered the deployment of troops to all strategic areas to make sure that business activity is smooth and that there is peace in Douala. Cameroon police say the gangs have grounded many trucks in Douala destined for neighboring countries. The landlocked Central African Republic to the east of Cameroon depends on Douala seaports for about 95% of its supplies. Landlocked Chad on the northern border relies on Cameroon for 80% of its imports. Authorities say the violence started three weeks ago when several hundred members of a gang called Lemikrop stormed Douala's largest hospital where a member was being treated for gunshot wounds. The gang destroyed equipment and beat up hospital workers. Authorities have called on civilians to cooperate with the military by reporting suspected gang members hiding in the community. Moki Edwin Kinzuka for VOA News, Douala, Cameroon. A special criminal court in Cameroon has sentenced the former head of the state TV and radio station to 12 years for graft. The French news agency AFP says Amadou Vamoliki, a former managing director of Cameroon Radio Television, was found guilty of giving himself $25,000 in holiday pay in 2005 and 2006. He was also convicted of giving unauthorized bonuses to finance ministry personnel assigned to the state. Station. Vamluki was arrested in 2016 and detained for defrauding public funds. The AFP notes his trial suffered 137 postponements in his six and a half years in detention. The 12-year sentence will take into account the time he has served in custody. His lawyer told AFP he would appeal. Gambia's government today said it foiled a military coup attempt to overthrow President Adama Barrow's administration. According to international reports, the government says the Gambian Armed Forces High Command arrested four soldiers linked to the alleged coup plot after a military operation yesterday. The army is pursuing three more alleged accomplices. The West African country has seen multiple coup attempts over the past several decades. Former President Yaya Jame 
Hawaii seized power in a coup in 1994, then survived several attempts to overthrow him before he lost an election to Baro in 2016. The ousting of the authoritarian Jami was viewed as a boost for democracy. However, shortly after Baro took office, eight former soldiers led by one of Jami's former military aides plotted to overthrow him. Gambian authorities say a body was found in a wheel bay of an airplane that flew from Banjul to London on December 5th. The Associated Press says the unidentified man is in a morgue for DNA testing. British police notified Gambian authorities about the incident this week. The AP says in November, three stowaways were found on a ship's rudder in the Canary Islands after an 11-day ocean voyage from Nigeria. And in 2015, authorities in the Netherlands discovered a body in the landing gear of a plane from Africa in Amsterdam's airport. The first batch of several thousand Somali troops that were sent to Eritrea for training in 2019 and 2020 have arrived back in Mogadishu. Parents of the soldiers who feared their sons would be used in Ethiopia's Tigray war in which Eritrea was involved had pressured the Somali government to bring the troops home. Mohammed Sheikh Noor reports from Mogadishu, Somalia. The arrival of this contingent in Mogadishu comes a day after Somalia's president, Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud, said soldiers trained in Eritrea would return to their country during the month of December. At a news conference Wednesday, Minister of Defense Abdul Qadir Mohamed Noor said the return of the troops is good news for Somalis because these troops will be deployed in the fight against the militant group Al-Shabaab. He said, our first batch of troops who were in Eritrea for training arrived today, and the remaining soldiers will arrive in the coming days to join the fight against the militant group known as Khawarij. He said, the Federal Republic president has traveled twice to Eritrea in his efforts to speed the process of bringing these troops back to their homelands. The Somali government recently began referring to Al-Shabaab as Khawarij, an Arabic term for one who deviates from true Islam. VOA's Somali service reports that after their arrival, the troops were escorted to a secure section of the airport where they camp until they are sent to an undisclosed base. It was in 2019 that the first of these troops, numbering 5,000 in all, were secretly taken to Eritrea to receive training. Many Somalis objected to the training fearing that some of the soldiers would be used in Ethiopia's Tigray war, and parents of the troops pressured the president to bring them home. BOA Somali was not able to find any evidence that Somali soldiers were ever deployed to Tigray. Mohamed Shahnour for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Please note we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. 
UN agencies are calling for more spending to help Somalia strengthen its resilience against future climate effects and ward off crises such as the current famine-inducing drought. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. A looming famine in Somalia, brought on by the longest drought in 40 years, is destroying livelihoods and threatening to kill many of the 7.1 million people facing acute hunger. A significant increase in humanitarian aid from UN agencies and the international community in response to the crisis so far has prevented the worst from happening. El Kadir Daloum is World Food Program Country Director for Somalia. Speaking in the capital, Mogadishu, he says humanitarian aid alone will not be enough to keep Somalia from lurching from one crisis to another. We must also continue to invest in recovery and long-term sustainable solutions under the leadership of the government of Somalia to protect Somalis against future climate shocks. The current drought is unusually long, but it is not an isolated incident in a country on the front lines of the climate change. Daloum says the WFP alone has scaled up its life-saving operation in Somalia and is delivering food and nutrition to nearly 5 million of the most vulnerable people. He says the WFP also is working with the Food and Agriculture Organization and UNICEF on joint resilience programs to strengthen long-term food security support. FAO representative in Somalia, Etienne Peter Schmidt, says his agency has provided cash assistance to more than 700,000 people, as well as agricultural help, such as seeds, feed and fertilizer, and other aid to more than 45,000 people. Having said that, and while humanitarians focus on saving lives on averting famine, there is also a critical need to invest in livelihoods, resilience, infrastructure development, climate adaptation, and durable solution to ensure those affected can recover from the ongoing crisis, adapt and thrive in the future. UN officials agree action must be taken to help communities meet their immediate emergency needs. At the same time, however, they say communities must adapt their livelihoods in the face of a changing climate so they are prepared for whatever the future will bring. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Ghana has sentenced four men to 10 years in prison for kidnapping two Canadian volunteers in 2019. The men were among eight suspects originally arrested in the abduction of Lauren Tilly and Bailey Chiti, who were working with the group Youth Challenge International. They were taken from their hostel in Kumasi in the Ashanti region and rescued a week later. Four men were eventually convicted for the abduction, one Ghanaian and three Nigerians. The Associated Press says their lawyer expressed surprise that they received the maximum penalty of 10 years in jail, though they've already been in custody for three. He says they have no plans to appeal. Officials from Ethiopia's federal government and the Tigray region are meeting in Kenya's capital, Nairobi, to discuss the next steps for a peace deal to end two years of war. Mohamed Yusuf reports from Nairobi, Kenya. Senior Ethiopian government officials and Tigray People's Liberation Front 
TPLF, representatives are meeting in Kenya to discuss implementation of the November Peace Agreement signed in South Africa. The Wednesday meeting comes as the TPLF said some parts of the Tigray region are finding it difficult to access much-needed humanitarian assistance. The rebels blame the problems on the presence of Eritrean troops who entered Tigray during the war to support the Ethiopian government. Pro-Tigray media reports say a regional official, Atinkut Mezgebo, called on the Ethiopian government to address what he called Eritrean forces' attacks on civilians and the looting of the aid intended for the suffering masses. Experts warned the alleged continued clashes and blockage of humanitarian supplies could complicate the peace agreement. Early this month, Tigray rebel group commander Tedesi Werede said two-thirds of his fighters have left the battlefield as part of the agreement. The peace deal has allowed the passage of humanitarian aid to Tigray and the restoration of telecommunication and banking systems after more than a year and a half. The Ethiopian government says more than 8 million people in the Afar, Amhara and Tigray regions have received humanitarian supplies since the signing of the peace deal. The war in Tigray broke out between Ethiopian government forces and the rebel group in November 2020, displacing millions and killing hundreds of thousands of people. Leaders of warring factions have been meeting on a regular basis to push for the implementation of the peace agreement signed last month. The Nairobi meeting is expected to end later this week. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. International human rights organizations and the U.S. are still expressing concern about Egypt's human rights record, but the government dismissed all complaints as politically motivated. Ambassador Mushar Katabchar of the Egyptian National Council for Human Rights said, Human rights are the way to prosperity and a national goal to achieve stability and development, adding that the national strategy for human rights declared by President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi is evidence that Egypt is serious about respecting human rights. VOA senior analyst Mohammed El-Shanawi discussed the status of human rights in Egypt with Mohammed Anwar al-Sadat, a member of the Egyptian National Council for Human Rights. Well, honestly, so far, since the president have been launching the National Strategy for Human Rights, there have been some effort to try to make this strategy a reality. But uh, in my opinion, it's not enough. We haven't seen the implementation, which we would all love to see it happening as promise whether from the permanent committee who is responsible for this or from the different institutions, the committee of human rights in both houses, the Senate or House of Representatives. I think as much as we all have been welcoming this National Council for Human Rights, but I would say that we haven't seen a real implementation for almost a year now or even more. And that's why we are pushing to see more positive move towards achieving this goal. International human rights organizations and the United States are still expressing deep concern about Egypt's human rights record. But the government usually dismisses all these complaints as politically motivated. What's your take on that? the United States or even our European friends and partners, they have their reservations, they have their concern about the human rights situation. We have seen this happening by different statements out of the European Parliament or even Congress. 
And even uh, bilateral meeting in uh, government level, I understand that they would like to see Egypt stable, uh, united, strong, but they have or they have their concern, which I cannot blame them for, since Egypt is also committed uh, by our constitution, our laws, and also international agreement, international convention. So I think as partners, we should somehow listen to all this recommendation, advices. We don't take it as sometimes we see the reaction from our institutions, the parliament or even the government. And we should try to work on this and try to improve the situation for the benefit of Egyptians. I don't see this as a problem. And talk together, try to work out something which will serve their interest and their people, which keep civil liberties, uh, people dignity preserved. You have personally facilitated the release of several prisoners of opinion, but there are thousands still behind bars. What's the way out? I think we have to keep pushing. And there is this amnesty committee, the presidential pardon committee. They are working on many cases, same as the National Council. And we are actually having a kind of consultation from time to time with our prosecutor general, our state security, justice department. We are trying hard to review cases of those especially older people, younger, uh, those who are uh, not in a good condition health-wise. So we are actually working out a lot of cases, hopefully that they will be released in a matter of weeks, in a matter of months. We don't give up. We believe, especially those who have been detained because of their political opinion or their practicing their rights or freedom of expression and so on, or rights of assembly or protest, as long as it's a peaceful one, I think she should not stay in detention and they should be released. That was uh, Mohammed Anwar Sadat, a member of the Egyptian National Council for Human Rights, speaking with VOA's Mohammed al Shinawi. Reuters News Service reports Zimbabwe has imposed a ban on the export of unprocessed lithium in an effort to stop artisanal miners who are shipping the ore across borders. The country has some of the world's largest reserves of the mineral, which is used in the production of clean energy technologies. A government notice says the ban does not apply to the exploit of lithium concentrates, which Reuters says major lithium miners plan to produce. The new new service notes that two giant Chinese firms have purchased lithium mines and projects worth $678 million in Zimbabwe, Over the past year, they are exempt from the ban. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehayas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Nelson Lopes, Thanks for choosing the Voice of America. Hello, this is Heather.
Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA, VOA's newsmaker interview program. Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on topics ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global health. You can listen to Press Conference USA on the radio or online at voanews.com slash PCUSA. While you're visiting our website, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear from you. Just send an email to PCUSA at voanews.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash VOA or on Twitter at VOA. That's Press Conference USA every Saturday 